everyone, and welcome to Better Than Than Perfect, the show for SaaS founders and product people. Our awesome guest today is Blair Wadman, the amazing email automation consultant who focuses on membership companies, member-focused companies, and that's the topic for our conversation today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, the best tool for sending onboarding emails and segmenting your SaaS users. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at userlist.com worksheets. Hi, Blair. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to dive into this uh, uncharted territory. But before that, <laughs> let us know where you come from and what your background story is, what you do. Okay, so I've, I've actually got a lot of experience as a web developer. So I've been working as a web developer for about 15 years, including kind of leading technical teams and working on really complicated, high-profile websites. And then as part of that journey around 2012, I wrote an ebook on Drupal development. And as part of that, I then got into email marketing and started learning more about more about automation. And I kind of realized that I actually enjoyed that more than the development. So, and I learned a lot from our mutual friend, Brennan Dunn, around that time. And then when we went to a conference in Sweden, he did a talk on email automation. And he kind of encouraged everybody in the audience to kind of add that as a service to what they're doing, especially if they are a web designer or a web developer. And that's at that time, I really decided to kind of focus down on that. And it also happens that a lot of my projects were membership-focused companies. So I'd already decided to focus on them. So in current time, I'm now, I've combined the two. So I am focused on email automation for the membership-focused companies. Tell us more about this, uh, this whole uh, industry of um, membership websites, member-focused companies, or how, however we call them. They don't fall in the spectrum of you know, SaaS versus e-commerce, like the two big groups that, we, that exist in our mind today. But it seems to be quite a large market for companies. So what, what is a typical company like that? So I think there's, there's basically two spectrums to this. There's the really large membership organizations where they're, that's all they do. They are there to service their membership. And there's a really big range of those. And some of those are really big companies. So you have, for example, in the UK, you have the AA. They are a membership organization that help car owners. There are companies who are industry bodies and they are like a leading light in a particular industry. And they have members who are leading figures in that particular industry. So they are the kind of typical membership organization. But then you have creators and educators at the other end of the spectrum. And these are people who are typically teaching online, you know, I might be creating a course or an ebook or having a really good blog or what have you. And they decide that they want to add some kind of membership component to their to their service. And often that is to encourage their audience to connect with each other and to form some kind of community. So they might just add that as another as another level of service to what they're already doing. And then they try and upsell that from their from their course or from the ebook. So there's kind of two two quite different subgroups, I think. Which of them is most typically your potential client? At the moment, it's actually both, which is actually really interesting because I can I can see it from two different angles, but there's a lot of overlap. There's a huge amount of overlap. And I, I like the fact that I can see 
I can see things from organizations that are diff- at different scales, but I can see the things that can be transferred between the two. And they're all, they're all trying to do the same thing. It's just a question of budget, generally. How much budget they got, budget they've got to spend? You know, how far can they go? And how fast can they go? And how complicated do they want to be? And I think, you know, if you're at the, if you're at the lower end, then, you know, you've got to try and keep things as simple as possible. Don't go too far, too fast. And just do the basics really well. Whereas if you're on the larger end, then you can do more automation. The scale is different. You're trying to, you're trying to effectively create a, an employee out of the automation so that the automation does the work of your employees. And that creates massive productivity gains. But it completely depends on what scale you're at. But there is, there is overlap. Let us know what is a typical tool stack of such company, because it feels they are, a little, at least the smaller creators, often follow the no-code route, which results in, you know, using WordPress as their platform or something else that's not, they're not engineers, they don't even have an engineer on the team. So it's a pretty big yeah. technical challenge to set this up so that it works and you can accept payments and keep track of your members and do other important things. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, the whole no-code movement that has created a massive opportunity for all kinds of businesses to do this. And if I go, if I go back a few years when there was, when the no-code movement was at its infancy, to do this stuff required a lot of custom development. And I've worked with companies where we've had to do this kind of custom development, and it's really complex. When you start to have to integrate systems together, and typically that would be, for example, most organizations will have some kind of CRM where they might store their member data. They have a website. They might have a different system for their um, membership system. And they typically also have some kind of email marketing or email automation platform. And they have to integrate those things together so that the data can flow between those different tools so that when somebody registers, for example, when somebody comes a member, they go into the CRM, they go into the membership system, they go into the email system. They're able to access the website, all that kind of stuff. Typically, if you go back a few years, that was really complicated. Whereas I think nowadays, with the no-code solutions, you can actually leverage those tools and you can just sign up to, let's say, four different SaaS products. And then you can use something like Zapier. And Zapier is a great no-code tool that allows you to connect those four tools together, which means that you can effectively send the user data between those four different applications without requiring custom development and custom code. So you don't necessarily need a developer. A lot of people actually can set this up on their own. They sometimes need a little bit of help. So sometimes they might need a consultant just to kind of set up the systems and do the Zapier integration. But the amount of time that that takes and therefore the budget is a lot lower than what it used to be. What is the primary platform that people use for membership management? I mean, you know, accepting the payments, being the source of truth for, for their customer data. I don't know if there's one single system because there are so many of them. So there's a whole bunch of WordPress uh, plugins that will uh, that will do uh-huh. this for you. There are some very dedicated membership tools. For example, Member Stack and Member Vault are two that come to mind. Member Stack is an interesting one because it actually allows you to add a membership component to any website, so you don't have to change your whole infrastructure to be a membership focused uh, website. You can add on Member Stack, and that allows you to create like a member section of the website and that actually handles the payments and, and that kind of stuff. Something like Member Vault is, a, is slightly different and that is a, a dedicated bespoke system that is just for memberships. And there's a whole range of them. So it depends a little bit on what you're trying to offer. 
And, you know, if you're trying to offer something that is more community focused and you want people to meet each other and to engage with each other and to build connections, then you need a tool that's more membership focused. So, for example, there is Circle and Tribe are probably the two leading ones in terms of community. And then if you want something that's very, very custom and you don't want to use a SaaS tool, then you're looking at something like either WordPress or even something like Drupal, which I've got a lot of experience with. And that allows you to create a very customized experience. But I typically would only recommend that if you have a business process that is sufficiently complicated, that requires you to have a custom solution. Tell us about the goals of a typical membership system. Because, for example, Circle or Tribe, they would be sort of gateways into a paid community. Or with other tools, it could be a gateway into paid content. Or it could be a mix of those. Any other features I'm missing out on? There's also events, and they could be they could be online uh-huh. events or they could be in-person events. Obviously, in-person events have not really been happening in the last uh, in the last <laughs> year or so because of COVID. But some of my clients, you know, they before COVID, they would um, they would do in-person events and they would do that after COVID as well. And that is a massive that is a massive benefit to a membership to be able to participate in in-person real-world events. Curious, what what are the typical models that you see? Uh, you know, let's say a ten dollar a month community, which is just a nominal fee to make it a high quality one, up to the most exclusive ones. Could you give us some examples of popular membership businesses out there? In terms that of in terms of different, pricing? especially in terms of pricing, just to understand how they operate business wise. Yeah, I think, like you say, at the bottom end, you've got like ten dollars a month type situation sometimes actually less i think some sites even have member only content for like five dollars a month you know they're, they're typically you're not getting much you're getting you're getting content that is for members only but you're not necessarily getting community and anything else but still you get special access to that special member only content and then you've got so that's five dollars a month then i think 10 to 15 is probably the next the next kind of level where you get a bit more and then if you go right up to the top ends you're looking at you know, you could be spending thousands. Like one of my clients, they charge around, let's say around 300 a month, but they also do team plans as well. So if you're a bigger company and you've got a team of 10 people, for example, then you can you can sign up as a business and get it as a, as a lower price per person. It's pretty fascinating. So what kind of benefit are these kind of people getting for, you know, high payment per month? Just curious. They're generally, yeah. I mean, they're generally getting access to the right kind of people. And I uh-huh. think that's that's a, you know like like you said before there's different there's different parts of this as to what you're going to get as a member. You're either going to get like you said you're either going to get the member only content or you're going to get community or you're going to get the paid content. But you can also get connections and access to the right kind of people that are going to help you either in your business or in your career. So if you if you imagine that you are that you're a leading marketer for example for a big company in in the UK or somewhere in Europe or the US or wherever and you join a membership company that is focused on that particular market. And if the members are sufficiently high caliber, then it means you can go to one of those events and you can meet other marketers who are of the same, the same or a higher caliber, which opens up a whole world of like learning new stuff, learning new techniques, but also job opportunities, business opportunities, all that kind of stuff. And that's really what you're paying for. Is there any like general practice or 
some kind of popular places online where such kind of businesses are either listed or where, you know, you can get information on how these businesses are run, sort of hangouts, popular places. That's a great online. question. That's a great question. I wish there was. Um, <laughs> there, there's a few, there are a few, there are a few websites and a few organizations that are focused on member focused or membership focused organizations. So one that comes to mind is a organization called MemberWise and their members are effectively membership organizations. And there's a few others like that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's not many. And I think if you are, you know, if you are running one of these membership focused businesses, it's actually quite difficult to find the right kind of content and the right kind of advice on what to do. And there are other, you know, there's, there's advice on various websites, you know, various leading marketers might have articles on what you could do if you have a membership business, but they're not necessarily particularly focused on that. So I think it's a very difficult, like, and like you said at the beginning, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a space that most people don't think about or focus on. So um, as a consequence of that, there's not as much advice on what to do as it would be for, for example, for example, for SaaS or for e-commerce. Or do you find that this membership component is typically the heart of the business and the base, the core revenue stream, or is it usually an additional value prop for another product, be it SaaS or e-commerce? Yeah, a great question. I think it's both. And I think it depends on the business model. I think for some companies, the business model is primarily membership. So that is their their primary way of making money. And for others, it's a secondary stream. So they might have a core product and that core product might be it might be a SaaS product or it might be an info product and they want to add on memberships or community as a second stream. So that's, that's those kind of two camps I was talking about at the beginning, the ones that are completely focused on it and the ones that have it as an additional stream. We've talked about the tech stat stack a little bit. So uh, membership sites are a subset of subscription sites or vice versa. I think I'm outsmarting myself <laughs> a little bit here. The subscription is something that applies to different kinds of businesses. So SaaS is a, is a subscription. There are many there are many services that are subscription based. I mean, your local library, I suppose, is a subscription of sorts. So I think <laughs> I think a membership is a subset of that, and that they use the membership. So they use the subscription model in order to make their money. Is it typical for them to use you know Stripe for the billing and then um, related SaaS oriented, let's say, email tools? to handle this infrastructure or are there tools of their own for membership? Yeah. So I think in terms of Stripe, I mean, at the, I think at the smaller end, a lot of them do use Stripe. In fact, at all scales, they'll use Stripe, but they are, there are other tools that you might use, other payment gateways you might use as well. In terms of the email marketing tools, that is a great question because most of them actually use the tools that are designed for creators or sometimes e-commerce. Um, they typically don't use the tools that are designed for SaaS, like UserList, for example, but I think they should, because I think the overlap with SaaS and membership, there's a lot of overlap. And I think if you're going to choose one, like if you're going to choose a tool that's available, it's not focused on membership, then one that's focused on SaaS is probably going to be better. But typically, you know, they'll, they'll use all sorts of tools, you know, but typically those tools are focused on creators who are, who are selling info products or services. And then occasionally you might get the odds company who uses one of these high-end kind of really high-end email automation tools. Um, I've got one client who uses Pardot. And Pardot is incredibly powerful, incredibly robust, and it has a price tag to match. But they <laughs> use that They use that because they also use Salesforce. 
and Salesforce is their CRM. Salesforce also acts as their membership engine. So all of their member data and all of their events are managed in Salesforce. And Salesforce is effectively their central source of truth. And every time somebody logs into their membership website, then the member is being authenticated against Salesforce, a Salesforce record. Because Salesforce owns Pardot, that's why they use Pardot, because it makes the integration between Pardot and, and Salesforce a lot easier. So it depends, like there's always all these kind of considerations as to what you're going to choose, because it depends on what you're going to integrate and all that kind of stuff. As an email marketing professional, what situation do you observe? Is there typically a separate email marketing list and then completely different list in another software to manage the members? Or is it typically just one list that has everybody in there with different segments? It's typically, it's typically one list that's segmented. I think that's the most common pattern, but sometimes you get it separated as well. And again, it depends on the scale. So if you're at a really high scale, then you might have it in a different system. So back to the Salesforce example, you know, they actually have member focused emails that go out from Salesforce and they could be much more kind of transactional emails. You know, this is your, your next billing run. Um, you know, you haven't paid or this is something to do with your membership that they might send out. And then anything else that is to do with promoting content or promoting the latest events, which could go to either members or non-members that goes via Pardot. So they, they kind of separate them, but most of the, most of the kind of relationship building emails still go from their central system, which is, which happens to be Pardot. And I think that's typical. Most of them will have just one. Let's review the general picture. Let's say an info product business operates all kinds of samples, little email courses that are free, that kind of segue you into the paid content. So as somebody with an info product background, I understand how that kind of funnel looks like. SaaS email marketing list is a wild territory for many founders because they just pile people on there and occasionally blast them with some broadcasts uh, with new features and like call it a day. However, you can still generate purchasing moments there as well. Uh, what does this uh, setup look like for a good membership focused company that wants to <laughs> make best of it? You know. Yeah, I'm glad you use the word good because I think people do it in all sorts of weird ways and. I think the problem is that lots of membership organizations don't really know how to do it. So they so they might borrow ideas from from SaaS or from info products or from e-commerce or what have you. And I think the problem I see, I mean, the problem I see generally with email marketing is this idea that people have not thought through the experience from the beginning to the end. So they kind of segment their goals. So they might say, for example, I'm going to have some kind of growth experiment where I want to get, I want to get more subscribers for the next month. That's my goal. I want to get more subscribers. So they will come up with some kind of strategy to give anonymous visitors some kind of freebie to encourage them to become a email subscriber. The problem with that is that they're looking at that in isolation. So that person becomes an email subscriber. They've bought some kind of, they've downloaded some kind of freebie that might be really attractive, might be amazing, but it doesn't connect to the paid product or it doesn't connect to the membership. So then when they go to get off of the next thing, the two don't connect. And if they do decide to take the next thing, because they don't connect, they then might not like the, the actual product that they've purchased. So the way I like to look at it, especially for membership, is that one of the is you want to look at the whole picture. And one of the biggest problems with memberships and, and SaaS is churn. People who sign up, they don't get what they thought they were going to get, and then they cancel. 
reducing churn is a massive goal for most membership-based organizations and SaaS organizations. So I think it's important to connect what they're going to get as an experience of the membership to what they're going to get as an experience for a free subscriber. And by that, I mean, for example, if you can create some kind of micro experience that is what they would experience as a member, but give them something that's very small, very, very uh, specific, give them that as an experience. And then if they, if they enjoy that and they like that, then when they become a member, they're getting more of the same, but at a higher level. So therefore, they're going to be happy with their experience because they're going to they're going to have already experienced it as a free subscriber. They have going to have made the conscious decision to go for the paid products based on their experience with the free products, and therefore they're more likely to be happier and more and less likely to churn. I'm curious. That might be an easy thing to solve if you're running events because you can just invite a person as a guest to closed event. But what if you run a Slack community? How does the trial experience look like? That's a great question as well. If you're running a Slack community, then one way to do that would be to give them a, you could have a free membership, a free membership version of the community. I'm not sure if this is possible on Slack, but I know, I know some companies who run, uh, who use different kinds of systems. So for example, I know it's possible Circle. With Circle, you can say, I've got all these different parts of Circle that I want to have my members have access to, but a subset of that is going to be available to free members. So they can they can experience it, but they don't experience the full thing. They experience a part of it. And um, you probably can do the same kind of thing with Slack where you maybe lock down certain certain channels that are for the for the paid members only and give give the free members access to a part of that. So essentially you're making your product your own funnel because you have a free tier in there and you have a paid closed area. Yeah. yeah. And the other way to do it is you could actually give them full access to everything, but for a for a period of time. You know, the same as what you might do for a trial for a SaaS, where you give them a trial period of 14 days or 30 days or whatever it might be. Fizzle was known for having their first month for $1, I think, uh, and then they would charge their regular fee. Yeah. You've got to think about the level that people are at as well, because that's we're talking about you've got pay subscribers, you've got the free subscribers, but you've also got the level below that, which is the people who are just on the email list. Mm -hmm. So the people on the email list may not have a free account yet. So that's where it becomes difficult because you've still got to find a way to give them some kind of experience that is related to membership. And I think it's easier if you've got events, like you say, it's also easier if you have member-only content because you can give them you can give them access to a part of that content quite easily if it's a if it's just an email subscriber. What do you do with people on your list? And I think this is a way broader question than just membership sites, because one thing that people do is, you know, let them know what's going on and what's happening and sort of building the brand with the news, with quality content. But how do you instigate those mini conversion moments when people engage more from becoming a mere reader to participating more actively, but not but before becoming a customer? So you mean how do you how do you convert them from becoming from going from free to or from subscriber to a pay customer? Yeah, but it's it's like a zero to one conversion. Could there be like 0. 0.5 oh, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. different it, steps? Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. Um, I mean, there are different actions that you want them to take, and it's not just signing up. An action might be clicking on a link to go read an article, or it might be clicking a link to download something, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. it might be jumping on a jumping on a free call with the with the founder to find out more. Oh, love that. that kind Tell of us thing. more. More call to actions. <laughs> Again, this depends on the scale. So, but if you've got um, a situation where 
you know, you've tried to convert somebody to become a free member and they haven't, they haven't taken the hook. And you might have some kind of follow-up se- sequence that says, you know, give us feedback as to why you didn't, you didn't take it. As part of that, you could have a link to something like Calendly where they can book a call with, with the founder or somebody else in the organization and just have a 15-minute call, have a chat, find out what was missing, find out what was not appealing, and that will teach you a lot about what's wrong with the experience. I love that. So this is basically for people who didn't convert, not a cancellation survey, but something like that. Exactly. People who people who have been through some kind of upsell sequence and they haven't, they have not converted. Right, right. That's great. Uh, what kind of evergreen things you can have on your email list? So it's not like a treadmill, but you can set it up once and kind of abandon it for a year or something. I th- yeah, <laughs> I think this is, this is a big this is a big topic because I think a lot of people. A lot of people have this massive debate about should they do evergreen? Should it all be live? You know, what's what's best? And and I think it depends. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of people like sending live broadcast newsletter style emails because they want to talk about things that are that are current day, that are front of mind, that are happening in the world right now. They might want to include some kind of story about what they've done, that kind of stuff. I think the difficulty of that for a lot of for a lot of founders is that it's very time consuming. Every week you've got to front up and send a new email. And I think for them, doing it in an evergreen way is probably better, but it's also harder in a way because you've got to be really careful with evergreen that you that you don't include anything that's going to make it obvious that it's evergreen. And by that, I mean, I'll give you an example. I signed up for somebody's email list recently and it was evergreen. I knew it was evergreen because he'd already said it was evergreen, <laughs> but most people didn't know it was evergreen. And this was actually during, in the middle of the first lockdown. And in basically the first lockdown, which was pretty much in every country in Europe and pretty much all around the world. And he, in his email, he said, you know, on the weekend, I went to so-and-so city and I went to see this and that and everything else. And I'm like, how could you have done that? You're living in a lockdown. That's impossible. <laughs> well, it's not impossible. You could have broken the law, I suppose. But it, it kind of gave away the fact that it was actually, it was actually evergreen and he hadn't changed it. So I think it's really important to take those things into account and to try and write them in such a way that you're giving you're giving value and you're giving the personality, but you're trying to make it timeless, which is really important. And the other thing, I mean, the massive advantage of having it as an evergreen experience is that your subscribers are going through the full experience from start to finish. They don't miss the previous emails that you happen to send out on a broadcast. And so they get the full, the full benefit. And I think it's also easier to spend time to write high quality emails when you're doing it in an evergreen way because you're, you know, you're sitting down, you're running a proper structured campaign and you know that you can build from one step to the next. You know, if you're sending, if you know that the emails are going one off the other, then you know you can link them together so they can build on each other. Whereas if you're sending them live, that's much more difficult. I know in theory that you should maximize the evergreen component, but it's always that, you know, we have these news we, we were launching a feature or we just published a new article. How can I not tell the entire list about it? Because it's so exciting. Like, um, should we, you know, have evergreen content on Fridays and news on Mondays or something like that? I, I think I've got two answers to that. I think answer one is that it might be exciting to you and I that we've got a new article. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But it might not be exciting <laughs> to the reader. <laughs> and it depends. Like, if, if you think... And I, I think if you think that that is actually incredibly valuable to the entire list, then I think you've got two options. You either repurpose that content and 
add it to the evergreen sequence, or you uh, do what you said, where you have evergreen emails going out on particular days, and then you reserve days for your kind of live broadcast emails. And there's another way, there's a third way, which is that most email uh, automation systems will allow you to have content snippets where you can have a evergreen email and you include a small snippet and that snippet becomes dynamic. And then you can basically add your kind of your latest article to that snippet and that could be changed dynamically and you could constantly change this. that. We do have snippets in useless too, but I've never thought about it as a variable for insert news because yeah. we we suggest to to use to be used for let's say you know an intro or signature when you have like your name and uh, and title and if you want to change that you don't have to go to every single email that's what yeah. we have them for yeah but it it can be absolutely used for inserting dynamic news into never green thing well <laughs> yeah it could be used for other things too like I mean I know a lot of people use it for social media links where they might want to add to social media links but the other thing is to have dynamic dynamic call to actions. So you could, for example, you could have a snippet that offers a particular thing. So let's say you're a, you're a free member and your snippet mentions the paid membership. So it could be, for example, PS, you know, you're, gonna, you're going to really benefit if you take the paid offer. That snippet is included in emails who are people who are getting the free member. But when they become a, when they become a paid member, they don't want to get the same, that same offer. So you can make that conditional so that based on the status of the of the subscriber, you change the snippet and you give them the next thing, the next level up, the next, the next call to action that's most relevant for them. And in terms of implementation, that could be as easy as a liquid condition structure yeah. that has one call to action for people with one parameter and another call to action with people with a different exactly. property. Exactly. Exactly. We, we had Brennan done in uh, here on the show a few weeks ago, and I can tell you belong to the same school because he was uh, saying just that. It's that kind of seamless personalization that's about you know promoting the right next step and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, I've learned I've learned a lot from Brennan myself. So <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of my kind of school of thought as to where I'm coming from is probably originated from Brennan in some way, and I think I've I've kind of taken it. He was probably the first person to teach me about email automation. And I've tried to take what he's taught me and with a lot of exper experimentation as well and apply that to the membership companies. We're going to link to the episode with Brandon in the show notes so that our listeners can dive into that as well. As we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be your final advice for people who just started out with their membership site? One do and one don't. Okay. I think in terms of do, try and keep things as simple as possible when you're starting out don't try and I love that. I don't love that. try and automate <laughs> everything from the beginning and i almost go as far as to say don't order, i was gonna say don't automate anything from the beginning but don't be afraid to do things manually at the beginning and i think a mistake a lot of people make is that and this is going to become going to become a don't but um the mistake a lot of people make is they try and automate too much too early and they haven't actually done it as a manual process yet and i think the point of automation is to automate something that was that's a manual process. That's how you save time. But if you don't know what your process is, then you can't automate it. So you've got to do it manually first, in most cases. So that's my kind of biggest do. In terms of don't, I think one thing I see a lot of is this kind of classic funnel where people sign up to email lists and they might get a welcome email or maybe a couple of welcome emails. And then they go into pitch mode 
and they just get like weeks and weeks and weeks of emails that are pitching a particular SaaS product or info products or whatever the case may be. And as those emails go along, they get more and more aggressive. They normally include some kind of some kind <laughs> of time sensitive discount at the end where you know you must sign up on Friday or your you know your head's gonna explode. <laughs> and I think they have a place and I think they probably work and some they do work, they do convert. But I think the problem I have with them is that what do they do to the long-term reputation of the company? And I think it's better to be gentler and to kind of um, focus more on relationships and building trust rather than just trying to get the quick sale. And I think particularly for membership-focused companies where it's all about the long-term, because like I said before, they don't want to have churn. So they need to have long-term trust, long-term relationships. So I think it's better just to be a bit more subtle and... I mean, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with obviously mentioning the page, the paid offering, and and you have to sell it, obviously. But I think every email you send should have some kind of value, and it shouldn't be just pitching. And I think especially as time goes on and the email providers become more and more sensitive to spam and to open rates and that kind of thing, if you end up with people not wanting to open the emails because they're just pitching, then it just it damages you in the long term. I love this. It's it's. It's underrated advice. It's all about pitching. You know, the, all the di- advice out there is about how to sell your stuff. But you are saying that re- relationship building is much more important. Yeah. And I could not agree more with that. And also just not pretending that this is just all parties know that this is an automated sequence. It is uh, It is so purpose is to provide value because other than that, why fake a human relationship, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Should be helpful firsthand. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's that's the way to think about it as well, is to think like a human. Like we are all humans, obviously. And whatever we do when it comes to creating systems or creating automations or creating sending emails, I think we should say to ourselves, would we do this in the real world? You know, would we go up with somebody in the real world and say what we're saying in this email? And I think that's that's the kind of lens we should look through. We should make sure that um we are basically being human and we're treating the reader like a fellow human. I love this. A couple blitz questions because I forgot to ask them. So one is, uh, these are more sort of tactical, but uh, is it better to include uh, full copy in the email or a link somewhere? Uh, so it depends. And I think it needs to be tested because I think some people like some people like the full copy and some people like the link. One thing on the full copy, I think as time goes on, people seem to be favoring shorter emails over longer emails, depending on what it is exactly. But I think most people are so busy and email boxes are so busy they're going through the emails really quickly so if the emails are short and punchy that's probably going to be better than a really long email and i think in an ideal world you would actually you would actually include the content in the email and not have a not have a click to the article however as time's going on clicks are becoming more important because of the fact that apple has changed are changing their way of doing things and they're going to be blocking open rate tracking therefore if we can't if for the for the reader's benefit if basically it means that we it's going to be much more difficult to track if somebody's opening your emails or not which means that it makes it much more difficult to clean your list and to get rid of people who don't open and you kind of need to get rid of those people because you don't want to have if people don't open your emails then it sends a signal to the likes of gmail and microsoft and yahoo that your list is not of high quality and therefore it's more likely to go to spam. So if we can't measure open rates, then the next best thing is click rates. 
So therefore, even though it's not ideal to have a link to an article, I think it's almost becoming necessary because we need to somehow encourage the clicking to make sure we know if they're engaged or not. As a UX person, I like it more because you have a chance to showcase your content in the most appropriate environment where you yep. can have illustrations, rich media, whatever not. And also you can engage people further with other content when you're there, like as yeah. easy as read more on the topic here kind of engagement. Uh, no, possibly. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's great for that. I think the question, the question really is when people are going through their inbox, you know, and they're in that mode of, of triaging their inbox, do they, do they <laughs> actually have time? And I know they do sometimes, and I think this is why it depends because, um, it totally depends on how on the quality of the email and the quality of the article and your reputation. Because I think if if your reputation is kind of like so-so, then as people are going through their inbox and they are looking at their emails and they see a link, chances are they're not going to click on it because they haven't got time. However, if you have a email list that is of high quality and your articles are of incredibly high quality and they give them stuff that they that they actually need and it solves your problems, then they're much more likely to click through and also much more likely to actually look forward to receiving your emails. And I think that's, that's kind of, that's something that I think has been lost as well in this whole process of trying to pitch is that I remember back in the day, you know, kind of five to 10 years ago where I would look forward to getting emails from certain people, I, you know, the things that I've signed up for in a newsletter form because they were of such high quality and I was I would always learn something from them and I would be solving my actual problems that I actually had at that particular point in time. And um I, I kind of felt like it's been lost a little bit in this whole kind of move to trying to trying to pitch and trying to sell and trying to get that kind of quick sell. And another question was well, when you're orchestrating your email automation, uh is it necessary when people are joining to block them away from uh receiving, let's say, broadcasts and other news? and just focus on sending them a certain onboarding, like lead nurturing sequence first? Or I, is it fine if they receive both of them? So I generally recommend that they go through the onboarding first and any steps you've got after the onboarding, they go through that next and they don't get the broadcast emails until they've gone through the whole process. So the last, the last step of that automation would be to tag them to say they're now ready to get um, broadcast emails. I That's like it. So generally my recommendation. For the broadcast emails, you should typically have a certain segment of people yes. who are ready yep. for like receiving your news yep. and updates and stuff like that. Yep. And by the way, I did not mean the product onboarding. I did mean the email list onboarding yeah, sequence, same, which same, is like a warm-up yeah. when you tell them about the company, et cetera, right? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, effectively, they, awesome. don't, they don't want to... If they're still being warmed up, they don't know you yet. They don't know what you're about and they are still kind of getting to know you. So there's no point trying to send them a broadcast email because they're not quite ready for that yet. Gotcha. So I'm glad we're thinking in the same direction there. This has been hugely useful. Thanks for giving us a sneak peek into this whole ecosystem of membership-focused companies. Where can people learn more about you, your work, and how to do automation for those companies? I think at the moment, my personal website, which is which is BlairWadman.com, so it's just my name, and my Twitter handle is also the same. So I can use my, my kind of real name everywhere. Um, that's the best place at the moment. And I tend to write quite a lot of content about this, this, whole, this whole space. I know there should be something coming by, by the time we launch this episode. So we'll yes. put that in the show notes. Yes, exactly. So there will be, I am going to be launching a 
special newsletter, which is going to be for membership-focused businesses to help them figure out how they can leverage email automation to benefit their business and to benefit their members. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So keep keep looking there, <laughs> dear listeners. Okay, Blair, thanks so much. It's been a lovely episode and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter, mentioning UserList, or leave us a review on iTunes.